Bronzeville. <laughs> we are so excited that you are here. This has been a long journey getting to this place. And so I cannot tell you how joyful I am to be standing here and seeing people out there and knowing that the Lord is faithful, the Lord is awesome, and we are actually here. Amen. All right. All right. So uh, this morning we went through and said our church's mission statement. And I just want to say that again for you now. We seek to be a city within a city, an alternate Chicago that passionately loves Jesus Christ, that intentionally engages in authentic community, and that radically advances the cause of Jesus. This is who we are. If you listen to this mission statement, you hear three C's, Christ, community, cause. This is who we are in a nutshell. It's what we are striving to be. We are a people about Christ, a people about community. We are a people about advancing the cause of Jesus. We seek to be a city within a city, an alternate Chicago that passionately loves Jesus Christ, intentionally engages in authentic community, and radically advances the cause of Jesus. Radically advances the cause of Jesus. That sounds really, really good, doesn't it? Radically advances the cause of Jesus. Now, that should raise two important questions for you, especially as we stand here on this preview service, and there's some folk who have never been in your community before. What is the cause of Jesus, first of all? And then what does it look like for us to advance that cause? Well, those are the two questions that I want to begin to try and answer for you this morning. And to answer them, we're going to be in our Bibles and a bunch of scripture. But I'll tell you right now, I am going to make the claim that the cause of Jesus is deeply connected to both our material lives and our spiritual lives. And the second part of my claim is that our material lives and our spiritual lives are inextricably linked to each other. So that's the claim. And like I said, we're going to be in the word. Now, it's hard to grow up in this country and not hear at some point in time that Jesus Christ came to earth and died for our sin so that we can go to heaven. If you are a Christian, you probably grew up being taught something like that. If you're not a Christian, you grew up knowing that there were people who believed something like that. Whatever the case may be, if you ask most people who Jesus is, regardless of their religious convictions, they will tell you something along those lines. Jesus Christ was the Son of God, or some people believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and he came to earth, he died on the cross so that all people could go to heaven. The problem with this articulation of Christ is that it paints a picture of a God who is primarily concerned with what happens to us when we die. And hopefully, for all of us in this room, we have a lot of life left in us, right? We've lived a lot of life up to this point. we got a lot of years left. And so we, I, I struggle with the God who is only concerned with what happens to me when I die. Now, we know that folk who are not Christians believe this. But I want to submit to you today that many of us in the church who confess the Lord as Jesus, as Lord, we believe this too. There's this song by Mary Mary that irks me so. But, uh, <laughs> and, and don't get mad when I say what it is. But the lyrics go, uh, I got to get myself together because I got some place to go. And I'm praying when I get there, I see everyone I know. I want to go to heaven. Now, I 
like the song, which is why it irks me. Because whenever I hear it, I can't help but sing it. I can't help but dance. It's very catchy. Because it's in my sermon, I literally spent all last night with it. I'm like, I got to get my stuff together. Like, it just, it kind of bores into your brain. And it bothers me because it's just theologically wrong. So I don't want to sing it and dance to it. I got to get myself together because I got someplace to go. I got to stop sinning, basically, which means I got to stop smoking. I got to stop drinking. I got to stop sleeping with people who I'm not married to, etc. I got to do the right things, i.e., I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to be nicer. And for some of us, I got to make sure that the people around me get themselves together. I got to make sure they stop sinning. And I got to make sure they start doing the things that they are supposed to do. See, this is how most of us think. This is what I thought about the church before I became a Christian. Um, Some of you guys have heard this before. I did not grow up a Christian, didn't grow up in the church. Um, My parents, very spiritual people, but they did not, um, you know, participate in any one organized religion. They did raise us with a very strong belief in God. Now, my parents, my mom is sitting there giving me an evil eye, so that's all I'm saying about my family. (laughs) My parents were also black nationalists. Okay, that's all I'm saying about my family. So, (laughs) while I, you know, grew up with a very strong belief in God, I also grew up very antagonistic towards Christianity. I had a whole lot of beefs with the church. My biggest issue with the church was that I saw Christians and Christianity, and basically Jesus, as being apolitical, as having absolutely nothing to do with real-life consequences, real-life issues, and being completely unconcerned with the injustices that I saw in my community. I had a lot of issues with the church. I had never read the Bible for myself, so my evaluation of Christianity, of Christians, and by extension of Jesus was based solely upon what I saw Christians around me doing or not doing. Now, when I finally did decide to read the Bible, I was shocked, (laughs) shocked, I say, because I saw a picture of Jesus Christ who was not at all like what I thought he was like. Instead of a passive, complacent Jesus who just cared about people living in such a way that they could get to heaven, I saw someone whose very ministry, almost everything he did was to meet the needs of the people who he encountered. I saw a Jesus who was despised by authority because he challenged the status quo. He would not toe the line. And I saw a faith that called the people who believed in this Jesus to do the same and to be the same. And what was even more amazing to me is that this witness of the life and the ministry, the heart, the cause of Jesus that I saw in the New Testament was very consistent with what I was seeing in the Old Testament about the heart, the passion of God the Father. Now, that was amazing to me because you got to, I mean, when we buy our Bibles, we go to Barnes & Noble or maybe to your favorite Christian bookstore and you get a Bible and it's just one book and you can read it or not read it. But this is a collection of a whole bunch of books and letters that span thousands of years. So the fact that this was consistent throughout the Bible That somebody, this God, cared about justice, cared about the way that I am being treated in this world, the way I'm living in this world, that was huge to me. 
but you do not have to take my word for it. We are going to go ahead and get into scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah 58, and we're going to start reading, and that's not going to, okay, good. So that's not going to come up here. So if you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody next to you. So beginning with the first verse, it reads, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Now, there are a couple things that I want um, you to see in this passage. First, I want you to take note of the language used to talk about the people in this chapter. So God says in the beginning, day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. They ask for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near to them. Do these not sound like good things to do? They do, right? Is that not what we sang about this morning? Early in the morning will we seek thee. We will seek your face and not your hand. Let the weight of your presence fill this place. Come invade our space. Before this service started, we spent time praying that God would come, that he would be pleased, that he would dwell among us. This is us, right? This is what we do. We seek God. See, I'm saying all this because it's easy to read passages like this and think that, um, you know, those people weren't really sincere. They didn't read. They were really seeking God. That was the problem. That's why God is, you know, mad at them because their hearts were all messed up. They weren't really trying to find God. But I want to challenge you on this and encourage you not to look at it that way. See, these folks were serious. They were seeking God. They were fasting They were praying. They were in sackcloth and ashes. They wanted God to draw nigh. They were a lot like us. And yet, despite all that, God begins this passage by calling them a rebellious people. Now, the second thing I want you to take note of is what God doesn't say about what was wrong with their fasting. Verses 3a and 4 read, Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Again, too often we see the children of Israel as being these, you know, messed up, wicked people who were doing all kind of things, living all kind of foul and didn't really want to know God at all. 
But that's not what this is telling us. This passage doesn't say on the day of your fasting, you lay up with people you're not married to, you get drunk, and you, you cuss like sailors. Now, I don't expect that the Old Testament would read that way, but you understand the point that I am making. That's not what God is saying is wrong with their fasting. The first thing he says is you exploit your workers. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's my friend Courtney, and she's crazy, (laughs) y'all. Now, some of y'all in this place should say, ouch. You exploit your workers. Let's just think about where we are in this moment. We live in a capitalist society. The bottom line of business is to increase profit margins by any legal, sometimes, means necessary. But I imagine... But this isn't something that enters our mind. Now, as I read this passage, it seems that God has something to say about that. That he is a little bit concerned with how people who call themselves followers of him act in such a system. But this is not how we move through our social world. I dare say that some of us, many of us, probably most of us, Do not go into our jobs thinking about this. We don't go grocery shopping thinking about this. We don't go shopping for clothes and jewelry and whatever, thinking about how are God's people being exploited. That's just not how we think. That's all I'm going to say about that for now. (laughs) Now, the last thing that I want you to pay attention to in these verses is what God says good fasting is. True fasting is inextricably linked to justice. It is about loosing the chains of injustice. It is about freeing the oppressed. And what does that look like? It looks like feeding the poor. It looks like closing the naked. It looks like providing shelter to the poor wanderer. Now, let me say something really quick to caution you. When we see things in Scripture like feed the poor, you know, clothe the the naked, visit the prisoners, it's very easy to mistake justice for kindness. Kindness is when I see a homeless person on the street, I offer to buy that person food. Kindness is when I am sent at home and I know that there are people in prison, I go and I do prison ministry and I go visit them and I, you know, I write them letters. That's kindness. And that is good. But this passage is talking about justice. Justice requires something different. Justice means when I see a homeless person on the street, I don't just offer to buy them food. I have to then sit back and figure out why is he homeless? Justice means when I look at the fact that black men are incarcerated at high levels, I can't just sit back and say, well, I should visit them and I should write more letters. No, justice means I have to say, what is going on with our legal system? What is going on in our communities? That's justice. And that is what we're being called to in this passage. Now, let's go ahead and get back into the word. Still in Isaiah 58, and we're going to pick back up with verse 9. It says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing of fingers and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your light, your night will become as the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like well-watered gardens, like a spring whose waters never fail. And skipping down to verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on the holy day, 
If you call the Lord's Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Now, there's a whole lot in this verse, but I want to turn your attention to verse 13, in these chapters, but I want to tur- turn your attention to verse 13. Both and, say both and. Okay. Now, in verse 13, we see the both and nature of this walk that we have with God. What do I mean? In the first few verses of this chapter, what is being addressed is injustice. It's how the people treat other folk, how they are moving in their world. Those people who are excited about social justice and who are living in that way, you will get excited about those verses, right? Because it makes it very clear that the God we serve is a God who cares about justice. He's a God who cares about the plight of the oppressed. But in verse 13, we see the other side of our walk with God. The people are admonished to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy, and they're told not to speak idle words. What am I saying? This thing that God is calling true fasting is not either or. In other words, God is not setting up two models and saying, for those who like justice, when you fast, make sure you take care of the poor and the needy. Now, for those of you who are more spiritual, when you fast, make sure you read your Bibles, study your word, and, you know, go to church on Sunday. That's not it. That's not it. It's both and. You don't get to pick and choose. Walking with God is both of these things. In these verses, we see that true fasting is inextricably linked to justice. It is feeding the hungry. It is lifting the yoke of the oppressed. But it is also inextricably linked to piety. And Isaiah tells us that the blessings of God come when we do both of these things. We like to think that to get close to God, what is necessary is, you know, I got to pray more. I need to study more and think about it. When was the last time that you were feeling, you know, a little distant from God, feeling like you just needed to be closer to him? And you said to yourself, man, I'm just I'm feeling so out of kilter. I need to go and feed the hungry. That's what I need. You have never thought that. You have never thought that. (laughs) Because that's not how we think. When you're feeling like that, when you need to hear a word from the Lord, you don't start thinking, God, I need to, I, I got a big thing going on in my, in my life. I need to hear from the Lord. Let me go and serve the poor. That's just, that's not how we're oriented. We think, let me get in my word. Let me buckle down and pray more. Let me listen more. And those are good things. But what Isaiah is telling us is it is both and, not either or. We should not feel too bad about this, though. Let's not feel alone because the children of Israel also did not get this. And I think that's why the first part of the, pa- the passage spends so much time talking about justice. This is, it's easy for us to get the piety thing. That makes sense for us. We think, yeah, 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 you need to read, you need to study, you need to do this kind of stuff. It is harder for us to see the justice side of it. But that is, in fact, important. And it's not limited to just this chapter in Isaiah or to the book of Isaiah. All through the Old Testament, you see God coming to his people and saying, look, what are you doing? You are not caring for the widows. You are not feeding the poor. You are not living just lies and trying to correct them. But what about the New Testament? I mean, after all, this is supposed to be a sermon about the cause of Jesus. You're right. Let's go ahead and get to it. (laughs) 
So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Now, in uh, this chapter, Luke is telling the story about the start of Jesus' ministry. Um, At the beginning of the chapter, you have the story of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And so at the point that we're coming to in the verses that I'm going to read, Jesus has um, been teaching in Galilee, and he's finished up doing that, and now he's gone to Nazareth. He's in the synagogue there, and he's asked to do the equivalent of, you know, read the sermon text for the day. So he's handed a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he begins reading. And starting with verse 18, it reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, in, in the passage that Jesus is quoting, um, Isaiah is talking about a time um, the people saw as the year of Jubilee. This was a time when the folk, the children of Israel, were going to be restored from being in exile. Everything that had been taken from them was going to re- be returned to them. I mean, this was a glorious, glorious time when all of the suffering, all of the struggles that they had experienced were going to be undone, and they were going to be living victorious, victorious lives. Now, fast forward to when Jesus is actually reading this. The children of Israel had long since been out of exile. But as one commentator put it, they were still very much conquered people. It had not been this glorious, wonderful thing. The year of Jubilee had not quite come. So the way they understood these passages were as prophetic. Um, They were prophecy about the Messiah. And when Messiah would come and these things would then, in fact, happen. So then you see Jesus, big and bad, coming up in a place saying, I am the Messiah. It is has happened. I have come. Now, you have to understand, the people hearing this had a very clear vision about what the coming Messiah, what that was going to look like. More importantly, they really, really, really knew what it wasn't going to look like. And what it was not going to look like was Jesus, a poor carpenter walking into a synagogue saying, hey, it is fulfilled. That was not it. (laughs) And that is why... (laughs) Once he finished saying all these wonderful things that he had said, they decided, we're going to kill him. (laughs) They didn't like that. It was blasphemy. But now let's look at what Jesus says. Because here he is pronouncing his cause. He is saying, look, this is what I am about. And ultimately, Jesus is making the claim that he is the good news. And what is the good news? Well, it's freedom for prisoners. It's recovery of sight to the blind. It's release for the oppressed. This is how Jesus announces his ministry. He is good news to the poor. He is freedom for the prisoners. He is sight to the blind. He is release for the, for the oppressed. Now, again, we read these verses, and some of us see these as like only spiritual realities. The poor are those who are poor in spirit. The oppressed and um, the prisoners are those who are bound by sin. The blind are those who are spiritually blind. And if you read it that way, I want to tell you today that you are right. Jesus absolutely is sight for those who are spiritually blind. He is absolutely freedom for those who are in spiritual bondage. He is absolutely release for those who are imprisoned by demons and sin and the things of absolutely. 
It is a spiritual reality. And you see that all throughout his ministry. In fact, when he finishes saying all this, he goes out and he heals a demon-possessed man. And very shortly after that, he starts healing folk. You are right. But if you read this and you see it as the poor being folk who are just broke, people in prison being people who are behind bars, you are right. Jesus is good news for those who are financially poor. He is freedom for those who are behind actual physical bars. He is release for those who are being oppressed by unjust systems. He is sight for those who are physically blind. Jesus was and is concerned with the material lives that we live, with the things that plague us, with the things that oppress us. He is concerned about that. He was and is concerned with the spiritual things that bind us. Jesus is both and. His cause is both and. And we see that throughout the Gospels. But again, do not take my word for it. Go ahead and turn to Luke 17. Now I'm going to start reading at the 11th verse. And this is a story of Jesus healing 10 men with leprosy. And it reads, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. Now, at first glance, this may not look like it has much to do with justice. It looks like Jesus doing his thing and healing folk as he was prone to do. But I want you to see two things in this passage that are easy to miss, but make very clear the both and nature of our walk with God. First, um, if you read this simply as Jesus just healing some people, it won't make a whole lot of sense. You won't ask the kinds of questions that you need to ask of this passage. Like, for example, in verse 14, Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Again, if this is just Jesus doing his thing, healing folk, then there's no reason to try to figure out why. Why they need to show themselves to the priest. Why was that important? But that's hugely important. According to Levitical law, people who had leprosy, and leprosy was any kind of skin disease, they were restricted from participating in religious life um, until they had been deemed clean by the priest. Now, this makes sense if you think about that time. If you had a rash, and, you know, this is before Neosporin or antibiotic creams that you could put on and be fine. If you have a rash, it doesn't make sense for you to go off into the community if it's contagious and you could spread it, right? So God put these regulations in place to protect them. You have your little rash, okay, go try to be clean and come back, check in periodically, let us look at you. And there are a whole lot of, you know, descriptions about what it might look like once it gets healed and, you know, how you know. But again, keep in mind, the purpose of this was not to keep folk out of religious life. It was to make sure that the community was healthy. Again, fast forward to now when Jesus is doing what he's doing. What had been put in place by God to protect the community, to keep the community healthy, had been 
turned into something that was used by religious leaders of the day to bar folk from the community, period. If you were a leper, you were the poorest of the poor. It didn't just mean that you couldn't go to temple. It didn't just mean that you couldn't, you know, go before the priest. It meant that you couldn't work. It meant that when you came into a space with other folk, you had to shout, unclean, unclean. That made life very difficult, right? It makes it hard to try to earn a living when you're not supposed to have contact with people who are not infected. So lepers often lived outside of the community in leper colonies. These folk were the poorest of the poor. So let's look at this miracle again. When Jesus heals them, he's doing two very important things. First, he is restoring them to the community, not just to their ability, you know, the religious community, but the community at large. If you are healed, you can work. Second, he is directly challenging the status quo. He is challenging the priest's authority to say who is in and who is out. He is ultimately saying that I decide and I say all are welcome. But maybe that does not convince you that Jesus is concerned with not just our physical needs, our material lives, but our spiritual lives as well. Well, let's look at Matthew 25, and I think that this makes it very, very, very plain. In the verses we're going to read, um, and we're going to start at the 34th verse, um, Jesus is basically talking about what it's going to look like, what's going to happen when he returns. And so beginning with that verse, verse 34, it reads, Then the king will say to those on his right, and just to clarify, he tells them that when he comes back, he's going to separate the goat and the sheep. The sheep are going to be on his right, and the goat are going to be on his left. Okay, so now let's pick that back up. So then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you. And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. What is rewarded here is how people treated, how people responded to those who were in need. So what's the point of this? Well, for those of us who live relatively privileged lives, and I dare say that's all of us in this room, This passage is telling us that God is just as concerned about your prayer life as he is with how you treat the poor, how you deal with injustice, both and. On the flip side of this, 
God is just as concerned about those on the streets finding shelter and finding food and having their needs met as he is with them coming to know him as Lord. Both and. You can't pull them apart. Say one is more important than the other. The Christian life is just as much about living moral lives, moral being defined by what we do with our bodies, as it is about living moral lives, moral being defined by what we do with our money and what we do about what's being done to other people's bodies. And what's the point of all that? Well, let's go back to that passage in Luke. Because remember, I said there were two things that I wanted you to see. See, in verse 19, we see Jesus interacting with the one man who came back to give him praise after he was healed. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Now, when Jesus sends the 10 out, the passage tells us that as they went, they were healed. So there was already some faith in action. If they had just stood there and looked at him like he was crazy when he said, go show yourselves to the priest, I suspect they may not have been healed. There was already some faith in action. But this man's faith is said to have made him whole. What is whole here? What is wholeness? What's happening? He has been restored to a right relationship with God because he has seen God. So God's just act, Jesus' just act towards him, allowed him to see him and then praise him. So let's make it plain. Why do we want to advance the cause of Jesus, that both and cause of Jesus? Why does it matter how we treat the poor? Why does it matter that we want to do justice? Because doing that allows people to see Jesus and have a faithful response to Jesus that then makes them whole. So what is the cause of Jesus? The cause of Christ, the cause that we want to radically advance is wholeness. And this is something that has been true from the very beginning. Let's think about Genesis. Think about what God does, how that story reads. God created human beings after he had created a place for them to live that was perfect for them. A place where they would have food, a place where they would have shelter. And then God didn't just say, well, I'm going to do one of them and then, you know, I'm here so he'll be all right. He says, no, I'm going to create two, man and woman, so that they could have companionship because that was a deep, Emotional need for us to have one another. And then God said, I'm, you know, I'm here. I'm in the garden. I'm walking around. They see me face to face. All of their needs were met. Their material lives were important. Their needs were taken care of. Their spiritual lives were important. Jesus was with them. God was with them walking in the garden. Both and. If this passage tells us anything, is that it is that wholeness is just as much about our material well-being as it is our spiritual well-being. You cannot pull them apart. You want to test it? Test it. Next time you see someone on the street who is hungry asking you for money, say, God loves you. See how they respond. They won't respond well because they're hungry, right? God cares about how we treat his people. God cares about what is going on. One of, one of the biggest challenges to the Christian faith, um, to any faith for that matter, is a question of suffering. And people want to always, you know, if, if, if God is a good God, why is there so much suffering in the world? I don't know. But let me tell you what I believe with all of my heart. With all of my heart. There is so much suffering in the world because the people of God refuse to act like it. 
Can you imagine what this world would be like if people who called Jesus Lord did justice? If we cared about the folk who were hurting? What would it look like if we went into our jobs or the places where we have authority and we took note, we were passionate about what we're doing? How are we managing our finances? Are we exploiting workers? This would be a great world with a whole lot less suffering. That's my conviction. One of my favorite um, verses in the Bible is Micah 6, 8. Um, and it says, he has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. When we do justice, we advance the cause of Jesus. When we humble ourselves in prayer and live holy lives, we advance the cause of Jesus. The point, church, is that through the Holy Spirit, we have been anointed to preach the good news to the poor. We have been anointed to release the prisoners, to break the yoke of the oppressed. We get to participate in the work of God. It is not Your salvation is not just for you to come into a place like this on Sunday to be able to sing a wonderful song and feel really, really good about your life and the life of your friends and then know that you're going to die and go to heaven one day. That is not what it's about. I think about um, my my daughter. I have a little little girl who is adorable and crazy. And, um, (laughs) And so there are a lot of things that I'm trying to teach her. There are a lot of things, ways that I want her to be. I have a vision of what it will look like for her to be a healthy, confident, strong, secure black woman one day. And so I'm trying to instill those things in her. And so she does stuff sometimes, and um, I'll watch her doing stuff sometimes, and, you know, I'll see how far she can go, and I'm always there to correct her and say, you know what, Hadassah, no. Now, I could parent her in a couple different ways. I could parent my child in a way where I basically kept her from anything that she could possibly do wrong. So when I go into a space, I could just hold her instead of letting her run around. I, uh, when she's talking, I could put my, mouth, my hand over her mouth so that no one can hear her and she doesn't disturb things. When she wants to touch something she's not supposed to touch, or forget that, I could just make sure there's nothing around that she's not supposed to touch, right? That's how I could parent her. Now, I believe that would make her crazy, and it would. The way that I parent her and the way most of you guys probably parent your children is you see what they're going to do and you're there to correct. I think that this is what the Lord does with us. We get to participate in his kingdom, not because he needs us to make it happen, but because as as our father, he is trying to get us to a place. He has a vision of what it will look like for us to be whole, restored human beings, whole, restored spiritual people. And so he's trying to get us there. So he says, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I could come and I could just smite them or I could do this, but I want you to do it. There's a travesty that's happened in Haiti. I want you to go. I want you to adopt some children. I want you to figure out what's going on with this justice system. I've given you everything you need. You have the Holy Spirit. You have my word. I am there to guide you. I go before you. I am behind you. Go out. Do my will. Advance my cause. So, as the worship team comes up... (laughs) Come on up, worship team. Um, oh, no, clap. <laughs> if you take nothing, nothing else from this sermon, say both and. That's what I want you to take. <laughs> the cause of Jesus is both about our material well-being, our material lives, and our spiritual well-being, our spiritual lives. For us to be a church that advances that cause, we have to be about 
the material lives of not just ourselves, but our brothers and our sisters. We have to be about our spiritual lives. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to fast. Yes, we need to read our word. That is how we advance the cause of Jesus. And that is what we have been called to do as a church. That is what we are striving to be as a church. Praise God. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. God, I just thank you and I praise you that you are an awesome and loving God. I thank you that we are your children. And I thank you for the the blessing that we get to participate in your kingdom work. I thank you that you don't just come down and do it all. I thank you that you are with us daily, strengthening, strengthening us, encouraging us, with us, telling us to go out and do your will. I pray, God, that you would make us a people who do justice, who love kindness, who walk humbly before you day in and day out. And I pray, Lord, that as we do this, Lord, as we lift you up in this way, that you would honor your word and draw all men unto you, draw all women unto you, draw all people unto you. God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We say you are awesome. You are holy. You are worthy. You are amazing. And we thank you for the privilege of being your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Go from this place knowing that the greater things that have yet to be done, we get to participate in doing. Be blessed, new community. I want to remind you guys of our next preview service. It'll be February 28th. Yes. (laughs) And I also want to remind you guys, if you have any questions at all, you can go out front. You have folk at the information table who are there and who are waiting for you and who are dying to answer your questions. So, again, go forth. Be blessed, new community. Thank you for being here.